of your life. All right, tonight we're going to talk about zeal without knowledge or useless versus useful zeal. And I like this phrase, let's get it right. Folks, uh, uh, everything that we try to do here at, at the church and everything I try to do specifically from the pulpit is we want to get it right. Uh, we don't want to guess at it. We want to work at it. We study it, which is why I'm encouraging you to study at home as well. And uh, check it out. The Bereans were given a, an award medal, if you will, by Paul because they did what? They searched the scriptures daily to see if what he was saying was right. And I encourage you to do that. You say, well, Pastor, you want us to, uh, you want us to question you? Do you want us to challenge you? Yeah, you should. Everything I say, everything I do, you do like the, the Bereans did. Does it match up with the Word of God? Well, I put a lot of time into these things. I, I certainly trust that it lines up with the Word of God. But uh, don't accept it just because Pastor Rich said it. Make sure it's right. Check it out. Um, that's why we want biblical literacy. Well, let's go to Romans chapter 10. We'll start at verse 1. We'll read the first 13 verses. Now, keep in mind, what's the context here? Paul, starting in chapter 9 and going through chapter 10 and 11, is specifically addressing the Jewish people. And you're going to find, and today, there's multiple quotes that he uses from the Old Testament. Well, why would he do that? Why is he going back to the Old Testament and making multiple quotes? Well, what did the Jewish people know better than anything? The Old Testament. So he's backing up what he's going to tell them to do. And by the way, it's not specific to the Jewish people. Uh, Of course, there's application here for us. But when he was giving this, it was specifically to the Jewish audience. All right, Romans 10, verse 1. Paul says, brethren. Now, again, when we're talking about these cryptic words, brethren, who's he talking about? Well, he's talking to believers, the brethren. Uh, Brethren or, or believers. My heart's desire and prayer to God for, what's the next word? Israel. Israel. Now, is there any doubt about the context? Okay, so, I mean, it's right there, black and white. And, And prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. Now you'll notice a lot of italics. He's going to start to do the quotations, which we'll bring out in a few moments. So we're in verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. Quote, the man who does those things shall live by them, unquote. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way, quote, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will ascend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? And again, he's quoting the Old Testament. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Now, here we go, and this is a very familiar passage, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 
For the scripture says, now he's going right back to the Old Testament, giving another quote, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, Greek meaning Gentile, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Another quote from the Old Testament, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I think that's enough for us this evening. Father, thank you now. We pray that you'd instruct us, that you'd encourage us, that you'd motivate us as we open the Word of God, as we seek to understand what this passage is revealing. And uh, I pray, Lord, that as we study the Word of God, as we become more and more accustomed with why was Paul addressing the Jewish people here? Why was he quoting Old Testament passages? What was his purpose in doing all of this? Well, Lord, I pray as we open this and examine it tonight, that you would indeed teach us from your word exactly what your intent was. So, Father, we commit tonight to do. We pray that everything that's said and done might bring glory to you. And, Father, as always, if we ask you to do two things that only you can do, would you please revive the saved, those that know you as Savior, and would you save any lost? And we'll give you that praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, we're going to get right into it this evening. So Paul's, and we have, if you didn't get an outline, it's because I didn't give you one. So if you want to take notes, feel free to do that. But uh, we have Paul's evangelistic plan for Israel. Now, not to the exclusion of Gentiles, but again, Paul is centering in on the Jewish people for a very specific reason in these tr three chapters. And again, we start out, and that's why I had us pause on Israel here. And by the way, if you're new to Union Grove or a Baptist church, or you're watching on the internet for the first time, Sunday nights and Sunday mornings, Wednesday night, we do what's called exegetical preaching. In other words, we go through a book, verse by verse, uh, whatever happens to be coming up, that's what we're going to speak on. Now, I do some topical messages on occasion during special occasions like Labor Day. We talked about uh, what labor means in the scripture, but for the most part, we're just going verse by verse through the Bible, and that's what we're doing tonight. So we're all the way, we've done the first nine chapters, all that material is on the internet uh, if you're interested in looking at past messages. All right, let's get into it. Brethren, Christian, here's my heart's desire for Israel is that they may be saved. Now, we're going to get into this in, uh, in somewhat depth, but we've, we've looked at Paul talking about the Jewish people before. In a previous chapter, Paul said, think of the, uh, an A word that he used, I could wish that I myself were accursed. He said, listen, I, I love the Jewish people. He said, if it were possible, it's not possible, but if it were possible, he said, boy, I'd, I'd be happy to give my life for the Jewish people, and much more than that, not only my life, but he's basically saying, I'd be willing to go and suffer forever in hell if the Jewish people would come to Christ, my brethren, my kinsmen, according to uh, 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 the Old Testament, if you will, the old, old ethnic background. But Paul knew he couldn't do that, but just to think of his love for the Jewish people. And of course, every single word in, in the Bible is inspired by God. He wasn't putting on a pretense. Uh, he wasn't trying to get people to say, oh, Paul, what a harp. That guy's just something else. Well, he, he did have a great heart, and he was something else. He was a, a majorly uh, uh, in tune with God. But God put this in here for a reason. 
And the challenges he, Paul here against us, Christian, oh, my heart's desire for Israel is that they might be saved. It was his heart's desire. It was the stresses on Israel's present rejection of Christ. Now, we've talked about it many a time, and I very much love the Jewish people. I talk about some of my Orthodox friends in Milwaukee and so forth. I uh, called one, uh, actually, um, let's see, they're not here tonight, but uh, we were sitting around a campfire about, actually, it was Sunday night, the Labor Day that we didn't have uh, evening service. We were sitting around a campfire with some folks, and I uh, got a call from uh, Aby, and I just use his first name, Aby. And uh, one of my, I mean, just love the guy to death, and uh, we just have a wonderful relationship. And he said, hey, I was uh, driving down the road, and I saw a police car, and I thought about you. And I'm like, well, thanks, that's great. I love you, too. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, I call, uh, we talk for a while, and uh, it's like, he's so orthodox. And I said, listen, man, I said, we haven't seen each other in a good year or two. And he won't come to my house because it's not kosher. And we can't go to most restaurants because they're not kosher. And I said, hey, I said, I really want to get together with you. And he says, well, likewise. I said, is there anywhere in the Milwaukee land area that me and you can go and you feel comfortable going in with me, a goyim, a Gentile, uh, and, and a Christian, where we can eat together? And he said, yeah, there's like four different places. And I said, you'll honestly go there. And he said, well, yeah, we can go together. And I'm like, poof, okay, great. But uh, 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 my heart's desire for uh, my good friend and others that are, that are Jewish and they're steeped in their religion, but they don't know Christ, is that what? That they might be saved. So, uh, I mean, I love them. I care about them, as many of you as well that have uh, Jewish friends. And, and that was Paul's, number one, his heart's desire. Boy, my heart is just, uh, oh, it just pains me. Some of you have come into my office and uh, you've talked about folks that you know and you care about and you love, and, and your heart is just absolutely broken. Uh, it's like, Pastor, I just, man, they won't come to Christ. It's one of my children, uh, maybe an adult child, <clears throat> and they've rejected the Lord, and, and, and you come and, and, and you cry, and it's like, my heart's desire. I want them to get saved so they can be in heaven. And uh, boy, it's, it's just a passion like Paul is showing here. Well, the Bible says uh, about concerning this issue of his heart's desire for Israel. Well, let's go to John chapter 1, verse 6. It says, There was a man sent from God, familiar passage, whose name was John. We're talking about John the Baptist. This man, John, came for a witness to bear witness of the light. Now, of course, cryptic term, uh, uh, what is the light referring to? Well, uh, of course, we're talking about Jesus here. But uh, this man, John the Baptist, came for a witness to bear witness of the light, Jesus Christ, that all through him might believe. He, John the Baptist, was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He, speaking of Christ, was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. And here's the punchline. He came to his own. He came to the Jewish people at the beginning. He comes to them. He's telling them who he is. They're listening to him. But what happened? He came unto his own and his own what? They didn't receive him. They rejected him, pushed him away. Now, uh, uh, and again, 
there's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to who Jesus was specifically ministering to when he was on earth. And we have to remember that the main ministry that Jesus had while he was on earth, and he made it very clear, he was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. You know the verse. And uh, uh, we don't see a movement towards the Gentiles until we get into the first part of Acts. Uh, And why? Because God, specifically when he first came, he was working with the Jewish people. He was working with them, and he came unto his own. But the unfortunate thing is what? They rejected him. Could they have made Jesus the King of kings and the Lord of lords when he was here at his first advent? Could they have, I mean, we know biblical prophecy would forbid it, but could they have attempted to do that? Well, instead of making him the king, what did they do? They killed him. And he came unto his own. His own did not receive him, speaking of the Jewish people. And, of course, Gentiles as well. We can certainly pull ourselves into that. Well, uh, Paul says, listen, that's my heart desire. And he says, not only, number one, is it my heart's desire, but it's my prayer. It's my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. It's like, oh, man, my heart's desire. With all my heart, I wish my friends, I wish my loved ones, I wish my kinsmen would come to Christ. But you know, I think Paul got it right here. Of course he did, because it's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, where's that verse that talks about the Bible being inspired? Let's see. 2 Timothy 3.16. It's the same as John 3.16. It's a powerful, the 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Literally meaning inspiration. It's God breathed. It's, it's, it's breathed out from God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God might be perfect or mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. So that's where we understand the Bible's inspired. Well, uh, uh, he said, my prayer, my prayer. Do you ever pray for lost friends? Do you ever pray for lost? We can come together and, and we can say, man, my son, my daughter, my wife, my husband, my aunt, my uncle, my grandpa, my grandma, man, they're not saved and I feel so bad about it. And it's, it's just busting me up. I don't know what to do. Paul says, well, here's what I do. And I suggest we should follow Paul's example here. Prayer to God. I pray. I get down on my face and I beg God, Lord, would you please somehow, I can't do this. I can't make them trust you. Would you please send the Holy... Folks, I, I, and I've told you this before. When I first got saved as a teenager, <clears throat> I had a bunch of folks and friends and relatives that weren't saved. And uh, I was dumb enough to believe that if you pray that God actually will answer prayer. And I meant that facetiously because God does answer prayer. And uh, I had in the back of my Bible and I began to write down all the names of folks that I loved and cared about and, and I knew hadn't trusted Christ. And I just kept praying every single day, oh God, would you please? And I go through my list and pray for these folks. Folks, And I'm not saying God's going to do this every time, but every single person I had in the back of my Bible came to Christ. 
And, and it, we pray and we beg God. And it's like, Lord, can you, can you do what only you can do? I'll do my part. I'll try and help. Uh, <clears throat> I'll share the gospel. But boy, without the Holy Spirit's work, everything we do is in vain. And, and I suggest that. Boy, if you got somebody you know and your heart is broken for them and you want them to come to Christ, boy, put them on that prayer list. Just start praying for them. Pray for them day and night. Now, I'm going to do something I shouldn't do. And uh, I, we don't have music to this one. <clears throat> so we're, we're going to wing it here. And uh, I'm going to ask you to, I, I know I shouldn't sing, but we're going to sing a little psalm together. And uh, as you can tell, I'm already hacking, so this isn't going to go well. But we're going to give it a shot. Psalm chapter 55, verse 17. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray. And I'm going to do it as the, the lyrics go. Evening and morning and noon will I pray. Will I pray and cry out loud. And he shall hear my voice. He shall hear my voice. Evening and morning and at noon. And I'll tell you why I learned this psalm. Uh, I'm going way back in time. Some of you will know this name. How many of you ever heard the name Lester Roloff? Uh, you got to be you got to be my age or close to it to know who Lester Roloff is. But he was an old uh, evangelist, uh, wonderful guy. Uh, but he he could sing. I love the way he sang it because he had a good southern twang to him. But uh, it went something like this. And please excuse me, but uh, you're going to all fill in and sing it with me in just a moment. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray, will I pray and cry out loud and he shall hear my voice, he shall hear my voice evening and morning and at noon. Pretty rough, right? Very simple. And, and I'm drilling, it got drilled into my head years and years ago and uh, I remember this sound because of it. All right, are you ready? Just give it, give it your best shot, whatever it is. You can't do worse than what I did, so uh, uh, let's, let's sing it out the best we can. Evening and morning and at noon, will I pray, will I pray, and cry out loud. And he shall hear my voice, he shall hear my voice, evening and morning and at noon. Now, folks, uh, uh, that's simple. And you know exactly where to find it. You don't need a hymn book. It's right there in Psalm. And uh, uh, Psalm fifty-five, seventeen. evening and morning and at noon. Well, wait a minute. How the Jewish day started? started at what time? 6 p.m. or at sunset. So evening. First thing uh, I, I do, uh, uh, I, I pray in, in evening. I, I pray in, in the morning time i pray and at noon in the middle of the day i pray folks when you really want something to happen and you really decide to turn your face to the lord and ask him it's like boy when you're consumed with something and something is precious and as important as the destiny of someone else boy evening and morning and at noon paul said listen i pray to god for israel is that they might be saved. Now, what does he mean by saved? We've talked about that, most of you know. Saved from what? Well, saved from sin, saved from the penalty of sin. Evening and morning at noon, boy, just praying for these folks. Oh, God, would you please save them? Now, there's plenty of other things to pray for, isn't there? 
I mean, how many of you know folks that are seriously sick? Yeah, I see hands there. They're like, should I put my hand up or not? Every one of us can put our hands up. Because if you look in the bulletin, every one of you know at least several of the people that are on our prayer list right now. And it's like, wow, you know, if God's people actually prayed and begged God for these things, do you, do you still believe God can do miraculous things? I mean, he can. This morning, and I don't mean to embarrass anyone, but yesterday I talked to Cheryl Neal, who's here tonight. And this one shook me up. I don't get shook up very often, but I was, I was, I was kind of moved by this one. And Cheryl, who's just, I mean, she's just a little powerhouse. And, I mean, I, I watch her, and she works hard, and she's, she loves the Lord and, and serves the Lord along with Paul. He's one of our deacons. And she got a really bad report. And I was like, wow, Lord. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it shook me up a bit. I even shed a few tears. You're like, why? Because why, why, why one of God's finest why one of God's finest does this happen? And I can't question what God does or why he does it, but it's like, thank you, Nathaniel. And uh, it's like, folks, we, we need to pray. And we need to beg God and, and ask him to heal Cheryl and others that are going through these tough times. And, uh, I mean, we've seen it so many times that God does the miraculous. I mean, if I had to get the healing, I'd walk back there and heal her right now, but I don't have it. So we pray, and we beg God. And Paul said, listen, my, my, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for thy Jewish friends and kinsmen is that they might be saved. But what else does he say? I should do like David did. The soldier came up, gave him water. What did he do? He said, I can't, I can't take it. He risked his life. Well, Nathaniel, I don't think you risked your life, so I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> if I don't drown myself. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. Paul's evaluation of Israel. First of all, Israel's ignorant, false zeal. And Paul says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. I mean, they're on fire for God. They're doing things for God. At least they think they are. But he says, but well, it's not according to knowledge. Uh, they came up with their own rules. They came up with their own ideas. And, and they're serving God with everything they have. And Paul's saying, you're missing the mark, folks. You're not doing it God's way. For they being, what's the word? Ignorant. Now, I'm going to do a quick little vocabulary lesson on some very nasty words here, at least from our vocabulary. When we're talking about being ignorant... Basically, the word means you have zero knowledge about what the particular topic is. I mean, it, it's not that you know and don't apply it. It's you just plain don't know. You're ignorant. You have no idea what they're, they're talking about. And Paul is saying the Jewish people, they're literally, the, these folks are ignorant. They totally don't get it. Now, I'm going to give you one other word, which every mom and dad in here is saying, I wish you wouldn't have said that word, but I'm going to say it anyway. What's the difference between being ignorant and, excuse me, stupid? The stupid person, if you will, by definition, is one that knows what they don't know but refuses to follow it. Okay? Again, young people don't use the word. I don't want to, 
upset your mom and dad here, but it's very important because uh, uh, the person who knows better and still refuses to do it, that's a whole different story than someone that absolutely doesn't get it. So what's he saying here? And that's why I gave the difference. They're ignorant of God's righteousness. They just don't get it. They don't understand it. They've not applied it. So he says they're ignorant of God's righteousness, and instead of doing it God's way, they're seeking to establish their own righteousness. What year is it? What year are we in? Yeah, 2023. This was written in the first century A.D., over 1,900 years ago. And Paul is saying the person of the day, the Jewish people, if you will, who he's specifically addressing right here, is saying 1,900 years ago, they are ignorant of how to obtain God's righteousness, and they're trying to do it on their own. Can I remind us, folks, and we're not the only church, by the way, that follows the Scriptures and and teaches the Word of God. There's many, many churches, many like-minded churches within driving distance of us. But you know how many hundreds and hundreds of churches that exist in Wisconsin and across the country and across the world that are seeking to establish their own righteousness? Now, every person in here, I'm going to ask a question. You all should be able to answer it. We are saved by what? By grace through faith. Oh, man, I can't remember who told me. Oh, I do remember who it was. They're not here tonight. This morning, uh, I had uh, an individual come into my office, and he said, hey, you know, I went to a particular denominational funeral. And at that funeral of this particular denomination, which I'm not going to name, started to quote John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the, 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 I am the way, the truth, and the life. Done. They didn't read, they didn't go to the last half of the verse. What's the last half of a verse? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except by, said, the Lord Jesus. They didn't go there. Same person said, listen, I I was talking to another priest of whatever denomination this was, and he said, hey, what do you think about this particular verse? And he says, oh, you're talking about I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's like, yeah, well, how about the next part? He says, well, we really don't go to the next part. He said, well, why not? Actually, he didn't ask that question. He said, boy, I'm kicking myself afterwards. I wished I would have asked that question. You know why they didn't answer the question, why they wouldn't say the last half of the verse? Because they didn't believe in salvation by faith through Christ alone. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then they add, the only way to get to heaven is through our church. Now, folks, that's 2,000 years after this was written, and it's still going on today. And you're like, wow, is that right? Yeah, it's right. And you know it's right. Many of you came out of the same situations where 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But you better do what the church said. You better follow what the church says. You better give X amount of dollars to the church. You better take communion. You better uh, uh, do indulgences. You better do it, all these different things. And they are going about to establish their own righteousness. And they're not doing the righteousness of God. And it's sad. It really is. It's horrible. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. What's he talking about in context here? I took it out of context and went to our general situation today. What he's saying is the Jewish people learned the hard way that you need to follow God's law. They ended up in the Assyrian captivity, in the Babylonian captivity, and they were dispersed in Rome for not following God's commandments. So the Jewish people came up with this. And we've talked about this before. This is uh, advanced teaching tonight. Wink, wink. But it is. What do the Jewish rabbis learn today? What do they learn? What do they study? Well, folks, it isn't this. And if I took the New Testament out of here, it isn't this. What do they study? They study the Mishnah. They study the Talmud, which are the Jewish writings that tell them what they need to do. In other words, the scriptures are secondary to their man-made rules in the Mishnah and the Talmud, which are books that will fill up the whole front of this auditorium. You say, well, can you give us an example? All right, the one that everybody seems to get a kick out of. When you go to Israel, and you it's the Sabbath. Okay, it's Sabbath. It's Friday night to Saturday night. And you go into, you're getting ready, you go into the lobby, and you're getting ready to go up to your hotel room. <clears throat> and you hitting a button, and nothing happens. And all of a sudden, you're standing there, and the elevator comes and finally opens up. You're like, okay, well, let's get on. Apparently, the button doesn't work. So you get on for the first time, and you're like, all right, I'm on the 15th floor. You're trying to piss press number 15, but nothing's happening, but the door's closed, and it starts going up. You get to floor number one, and it stops and opens, and there's nobody else on the elevator, and there's nobody outside. You're like, who pushed that button? Doors closed. Go up to floor number two. Stops again. Now you're getting a little annoyed here. It's like you go through this 15 times to get to your room on the 15th floor. Well, why, would, why in the world did that elevator? And you get a little upset, and you finally go down uh, the next day when you get up, and you go down and you say, listen, uh, you guys got to fix your elevator here. This thing does not work right. And they said, oh, it works perfect. It's the Sabbath. We don't push buttons on the Sabbath. So the elevator does everything automatically. And this is true, folks, in a, in an Orthodox Jewish place, you... On the Sabbath, you can't even push the button on an elevator. Well, can you please tell me where that's found in here? That's the point. They have come up with a massive list of do's and don'ts because they don't want to mess up and not do something that God said, listen, don't work on the Sabbath. So they came up with a zillion different rules about what we can't do on the Sabbath. Are they biblical? Uh-uh, not at all. But they, they, they teach them, and boy, they live by them. Why? Because they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, 
They're seeking to establish their own righteousness and have not submitted to the righteousness of God. It's that simple. And it's still going on 2,000 years later. Now let's go to Luke 18. And he, Jesus, spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray. Now again, we're in a Jewish context here. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Ooh, all the fingers go down, boo, and we hate tax collectors. The Pharisee, the religious guy, the, the, the pop and circumstance guy, the guy who is, uh, uh, has all the praise of the people for being a religious leader. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. And he looks over and says, I'm not like this lowly tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, what? God, would you be merciful to me, a sinner? By the way, do you know where the sinner's prayer comes from? You're reading it. This is one of those sections. God, would you be merciful to me, a sinner? Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What's God saying? He's like, listen, would you pour yourself at at the feet of Jesus? Would you humble yourself before him? Uh, All the things you do, all the accolades you try to get, all the praise of people that uh, the religious people might go after. He's like, that's not the way I do business. God looks on the heart, not the outward appearance. And he uses this parable, and he states it's a parable, to talk about the religious leaders, and oh, it's all about me, and oh, you've got to watch me, and oh, I need the praise of people. And yet you have this poor tax collector, a sinner, so to speak, and he beats his breast and says, God, would you be merciful to me? And you see who God says, the Lord himself says, who would be justified? Acts chapter 26, uh, another uh, insight. Indeed, I, Paul, myself, thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Paul, before he came to Christ, said, I'm going to establish my own what? My own righteousness. I'm going to do it my way. Who's the guy that sings that song in our... Oh, Frankson, sorry, didn't mean to go there, but I, I did it my way. And Paul was singing that song apparently all day long and all night. He's like, boy, I did it my way, but it was the wrong way. He said, uh, I must do things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth before he came to Christ. This I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, the religious leaders of the day, and when they were put to what? Put to death. Wait a minute. Time out. Paul? The great apostle Paul? was actually consenting to the death of people who were what? <laughs> who were you? Christians. Paul said, I was out there making sure that uh, they got their just desserts for 
not following the law and trusting in this false person called Jesus. He didn't know who Christ was yet. They were put to death. I cast my vote against them. Wow. Wow. And, verse 11, I, Paul states, punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. So he says, not only did I go after believers, not only did I go after Christians, but man, I threatened them. You better deny Jesus Christ. Boy, have you heard anything like that in the news in 2023? Have you heard about those whose lives are put on the line in different countries around the world? Uh Uh-huh, happens every day. We don't see it here in the States, thank God for that, but so many folks that are, their lives literally, they're put on the line every single day around the world. He said, I punished them often in every synagogue, and I compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly enraged against them. I mean, I can't even, I'm not even going to attempt to, act this out because it, it would be unsightly. It would be unruly. Think, and, and I'll tell you, you know, I was in law enforcement for 32 years and I hated fights. I just absolutely hated when you walk up on people and they're just absolutely kicking the fire out of each other and people are hurt and they're bloodied and they're trying to literally kill each other. And it's not a pleasant sight. Sometimes you see it on the news, they'll play a video clip and man, I, I don't even want to see it. It's like, turn that off. I don't want to see it. Now, if it's a football game, I'm all in. (laughs) If it's boxing and they're both doing it, I'm kind of in. I'll leave it at that. But boy, I hate it when people are are literally trying to kill each other just to kill each other because they hate each other. And and, and what does he say? He said, "I, I put these folks in prison. I cast my vote against them. I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly enraged against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Paul says, listen, I'm enraged. He hated the Christians with a passion because in his mind, he was doing that which he felt was which was righteous and just. And then Paul, going down the Damascus Road, has an encounter with the risen Christ. And Paul makes this wonderful statement. We all know verse 15. And Paul said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save who? To save sinners. Now, I usually leave out the next little pair or uh, phrase, but tonight it's so applicable, we're going to do it. If I'm trying to uh, uh, just encourage folks to do what Paul did, which is to testify to what Christ has asked us to do and what he has done, uh, everything is good. But Paul say, makes this phrase. We've, we've mentioned it before in other messages. Paul says, Christ Jesus came in the world of saved sinners of whom I am what? Chief. Well, after you read what Paul did, after you read that he consented to people's death, after you read about him being enraged with God's people, after you read about him going about to establish his own righteousness and not following the righteousness of God, you're like, "Uh, okay, I think I'm on the same page. Paul, you were a nasty old boy before you got saved. You're a horrible sinner. You're a terrible guy. And God says you were the chief of sinners. It's not on this page, 
just because it's a cute thing to write down. It's there because it's under the inspiration of God, and God has to agree to this or it wouldn't be in the Bible. Paul was a nasty, horrible guy trying to establish his own righteousness by thinking he was following the Jewish law when in essence he was going totally against God's principles and he was the chief of sinners. However, verse 16, here's the good news. However, for this reason, Paul said, I obtained mercy. Did he do that in ignorance? He sure did. He was ignorant. He didn't get it. He didn't understand it until Jesus literally had to come and knock him off his horse and blind him. He falls to the ground and all of a sudden he realizes he's not in Kansas anymore. Something's wrong. And the Lord Jesus talks to him and he says, What do you want me to do, Lord? <laughs> did he get his attention? Of course he did. And, uh, of course, Paul goes on and uh, gets right with God and he gets saved and he goes out to become one of the greatest missionaries and evangelists of all time. However, Paul said, for this reason, God had mercy on me that in me first Christ, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. What's Paul saying? Sometimes folks, uh, and maybe you've encountered this, they'll come and uh, maybe I'm usually on the street. They usually not, I don't meet folks like this on, in church very often, but many times on the street when we're witnessing. And a uh, person will say, and, and I mean, here's a person that honestly believes they're a sinner. A lot of folks don't. And they're like, man, if you, you, if, if you had a clue what I did, I, I mean, how can God save a person like me? Some of them, they murdered folks. They've been horrible drug dealers. They've been involved in illicit immorality. And they're just like, how can God save you? I'm just so rotten. I've done so many horrible things. How can God have mercy on me? I've just destroyed my life. There's nothing good about me. And they'll actually sometimes say, you know, I deserve to go to hell. Well, they're telling the truth. And by the way, there's not a single person on this earth that doesn't deserve the same outcome of going to hell, including me. And that's why God says, I love you. And, and Paul says, uh, 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 listen, would you take a look at me? Paul says, I consented to people's death. I, I am a murderer. I was standing at when they, they stoned Stephen one of the godliest men of the time. I was standing there holding the coats of the people that stoned him to death. I, I went around uh, to Damascus trying to get papers so I could arrest Christians. I put Christians in jail. I, I, I had the book thrown at them. I was enraged with them. Why did God put that in there? Here's why. Because God says, I don't care what you did yesterday, the day before, or the day before that. I love you. I don't love what you did, but I love you. Isn't that good? I mean, no matter how far down the, the, the rat hole you've gone, doesn't become how bad you've become. God says, I love you. Now, he's not like Mr. Rogers who says, I love you just the way you are. He wants you to change. He wants you to come to Christ. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> Break the tension. 
However, for this reason, Paul said, Even though I was a horrible sinner, I obtained mercy that in me first, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, might show all long suffering. Man, he's like, if anybody deserved God's punishment, here I am. But God showed me long suffering. I told you, and many of you remember this, I've told the story a couple times. When I was uh, with the sheriff's office, uh, you all remember a guy named Jeffrey Dahmer. How many remember Jeffrey Dahmer? I think most of you, right? Okay. So uh, when I was with the sheriff's office, Jeffrey Dahmer had been one of our prisoners. And uh, Jeffrey was very quiet. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he was. He was kind of a model kind of guy, believe it or not. Well, after he got sentenced, they took him to prison. And you're like, that's what Jeffrey Dahmer deserved. Well, yeah, he did deserve it. He was a horrible guy. Murdered people, cannibal, horrible. You know the story. Now, the Apostle Paul said, I was killing people. I was the chief of sinners, and Jesus saved me. So some pastor had the weird idea to go to prison and to meet with Jeffrey Dahmer. And it's like, can God save Jeffrey Dahmer? Well, did he save the Apostle Paul? He did the same thing. He might not have been a cannibal, but he killed plenty of people that were God's people. And, and this pastor goes and he, and he talks with Jeffrey and he shares the gospel with him. And to my understanding, if I had the story right, he went a couple of different times and finally... Jeffrey, a murderer, a horrible guy, bowed his head and received Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, same as the Apostle Paul did. God had to knock him off a horse while God had to put Jeffrey in jail. And all of a sudden he makes a profession of faith in Christ. Now, was it true or not? That's not for me to judge, nor you. But he made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. The pastor, of course, put that out, and it's like, wow, can God save in our generation, one of the chief of sinners, God can save anybody, even you and me. And uh, a week later, he was killed. He was murdered in prison by other, by other inmates. You say, well, where do you think Jeffrey Dahmer is today? Well, if indeed he put his faith and trust in Christ, even though he's a horrible guy, where is he today? He'd be in heaven. Now, if it was he didn't make a real profession of faith. Only he knows that in God. But it's like, can God save uh, a Jeffrey Dahmer? Yes. Can God save a rotten guy like the Apostle Paul who killed Christians for a living? Well, I think he can save anyone if he can do that. And, of course, he can. Uh, Israel's faithless zeal. Romans 10, 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. What is he saying? He's like, you want to get saved by following the law? Hey, Jewish individual, you think by following the law you can get to heaven? Have at it. Go for it. 613 commandments, 365 negative, 248 positive. Follow 613 commandments. Let's see if you can do it. Now, you all know the answer to that. Could any man ever follow the law? Barring one individual who was Christ, who fulfilled the law. And he's saying, listen, and he quotes again from the Old Testament, from the law, Leviticus 18. And it says, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall, what? Live by them. You know what he's saying here? 
You can't live by them. You can't follow them. There's no way on earth that you can accomplish this massive goal. Why? Because no one has ever been saved by the law. Galatians chapter 3, therefore, the law was our tutor, a schoolmaster, someone that came in to help us to understand to do what? To bring us to Christ that we might be justified by what? Faith. Now, this is basic 101, but it's advanced at the same time. No one gets to heaven by what they do. No one gets to heaven by following the law. And the law basically said, all right, all right, those of you that think you can follow the law, here it is. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. All those commandments are in those five books of the Pentateuch, of the Torah. And uh, just follow them on, you're good to go. And all of a sudden you start, well, I can... Oh, man, I messed up on that one. I messed up on that one. And he says, wait a second. You messed up on one you're guilty of? Oh, you can't do it, can you? Uh Uh-oh, well, what am I going to do? Why don't you do what the law was pointing you to in the first place? The law was a tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. In other words, do you are you forced, and you all know the answer to this, are you forced to follow the Old Testament Mosaic law today? Of course not. The law has been abolished in Christ, and that's what he's saying. The law simply pointed us to Christ. Therefore, Romans 3.20, by the deeds of the law, how much flesh will be justified? Zip, not a nothing. What's no in Japanese? Whatever he said, I couldn't hear it. <laughs> no matter what language it is, can't be done. By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the only thing that comes out of trying to follow the law is the knowledge of what? Sin, Sin because you can't keep it. If they put on the street today, and they better not do this. If they put on the street today that you had to go through Union Grove at 5 miles an hour, and if you go 5.1 miles per hour, you broke the law. How many of us do you think would follow the law? Yeah, I don't like the 25. I got to fudge on that every now and then. Five? Well, what's the, what? God made the law so intense, so impossible it's like trying to go five miles an hour with a, some of you guys got some pretty hepped up engines in your, in your cars and your motorcycles, and I got kind of a big one in the rig I drive, and it's like, I don't know that it can go five miles an hour. But you couldn't keep the law, and that's what God said. It's impossible. You can't do it. So we need to do what? Come to Christ by faith. Romans 10, 4, uh, uh, verse 6. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, now this is a little tricky, and we'll probably close with this because we're running out of time. The righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart. Did we catch that? What's the, what's, what, before we get into it, do what? Nah, don't do this. Don't go here. Do not say in your heart, specifically Jewish people, who will ascend into heaven? And now Paul adds to the Old Testament quote, that is to bring Christ down from above. God says, listen, don't, don't go here. Don't say in your heart, listen, 
I don't believe Jesus Christ exists, so we need to ascend up to heaven to bring Christ down to prove who he is. Or, who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Again, he's saying, don't do this. It's a futile concept. Where's he getting this from? So he's quoting from Deuteronomy, of course, before Christ came. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Now, here's the original context. But, here it is, the what? The Word, the Scriptures, the Bible, if you will. But the Word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. What's God saying here? He's like, we, we, we come up with these ideas. Well, I'll get up to heaven. I'll prove there's no Jesus. I'll go to, into the abyss. I'll prove that there's no Jesus. Uh, uh, I, and he's saying the same thing about the Word of God back in the Old Testament. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, sure, this is supposed to be true. And he says, don't go there. He says, but the Word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. So what's the point of this? Well, you look at the bottom of the screen. Moses pre referred to the Word of God when he wrote this in Deuteronomy. What Paul is talking about in Romans 10 is to include Jesus Christ. John 1.1, he's, listen, you don't have to go up to heaven to try and play games to find Christ. You don't have to go into the abyss to find him because the Bible says John 1.1, and you all know the verse. In the beginning was the... But the word... Oh, does it match? Uh, uh, in the beginning... or. Uh, uh, I forgot it. I'll give you the first couple. In the beginning was, thank you. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's all about the Word. And who is the Word? Well, it's Jesus Christ. Makes no bones about it in John, uh, who Christ is, and that he is the Word, which is expanded on from Deuteronomy. Well, what else does he say? And this will be the last part. Paul's exhortation for Israel. The gospel stated. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart that is the word of... Get the next word. The word of... Is it the word of the law? Uh-uh. Is it the uh, foul of the 613 Old Testament commandments? No, he says it's the word of what? Faith. And we stress it over and over and over and over again ad infinitum. Why? Because and, and, and the folks in this room, you hear it every single Sunday. It comes out at some point. Trust Christ by faith and faith alone. And, and you know it backwards, forwards, upside down and sideways. And it's like, Pastor, every Sunday at some point we talk about placing your faith in Christ. Why do we do that? Because the majority of all people that are watching on the Internet that may come into our auditorium as visitors for the first time. And for the first time, they come, and it's not about denominational rules. It's not about catechisms. It's not about reading liturgy. It's not about singing uh, 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 in, uh, uh, in uh, cants and all these other things. What's it about? It's about the Scriptures. And all of a sudden, for the first time, folks come into the auditorium, they're watching on the internet, or you see them on the street, and all of a sudden, for the first time, they hear, it's not by what you do, it's by what Jesus did. Every one of you were there at some point. 
Maybe you were a child, maybe a teenager. Some of you got saved older in life. Uh, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. And here it is. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from sin, saved from the penalty of sin. For with the heart, now he reverses it. With the heart, what does one do? One believes. Now, you can't really confess Christ until you believe on him. That would be a little hard. So he he puts it in the right order here. He says, with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. And then what happens? With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Well, uh, uh, what does it say? For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And now, he's, remember, he's talking specifically to the Jewish people, so now he's quoting out of Isaiah chapter 26, verse 16. Back in Isaiah, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation. Who's, who's the foundation stone? Jesus Christ. A tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. And now here's where the quote comes in Romans 10, 11. Whoever believes will not, if you will, act hastily or, in Paul's words, be put to shame. Folks, is the gospel important today? Wow, nothing more important. Paul's reiterating that fact once again, the importance of the gospel, the centrality of Christ, not by law, Jewish friends, not by law, Gentile friends, not by following man-made rules, Jew and Gentile alike, It's all faith in Christ. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that in the scriptures, over and over and over again, you make it so clear that everything is by faith in what Jesus did for us. It's by faith that we pray for the unsaved. It's by faith that we pray for the sick. It's by faith that we do everything as your children. It's by faith that we take our next breath. Lord, everything we have is because of you. And Father, I pray that we might look to you this evening and say, boy, thank the Lord, praise the Lord for all the wonderful things that you've supplied for us. Thank you that we're saved by faith and not by trying to do things on our own, not by following the law, but by grace and grace alone. And Father, as we close... Help us this week to live like we truly believe in you. Help us to do like the Apostle Paul did that, oh, he knew he'd messed up. He'd messed up royal. He was a horrible example of what a godly person should do. But oh, the change that you brought about in his life when he put his faith and trust in you. Lord, would you help all of us to strive to that end to be godly people not establishing our own righteousness, but humbly following you. Finally, if you're watching on the internet tonight, maybe you're even in this room. If you died right now, where would you go? The Bible says very simply that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Boy, we talked a lot about that tonight. The Bible says if I got what I deserved, if you got what you deserved, every single one of us would spend eternity in an awful place called hell, the lake of fire, Revelation 21.8. But Jesus Christ, God's Son, came down from heaven died on the cross for our sins, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. And Jesus holds out a free gift to you tonight. 
You're not going to get saved by what you do. Boy, we went through that over and over tonight with what the Apostle Paul says. You can't earn heaven. You can't get heaven by what you do. It's only by faith that you can get to heaven. Have you ever placed your faith and trust in what Jesus did for you, realizing you can't get to heaven on your own? One verse and we're done. Oh, God, we know the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in Jesus, in his what? In his death, burial, and resurrection, should not perish and go to hell, but have everlasting life. Boy, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, would you do it tonight? Would you by faith receive that free gift of eternal life by placing your faith in him alone? If you're watching on the internet, you can contact us here at Union Grove Baptist Church. We'd love to help you start your walk with the Lord. You can call us here at the office anytime or on the internet. You can send us an email. We'll be happy to help you. If you're in the auditorium tonight, would you see me as you walk out and let me know that you placed your faith and trust in Christ? Or if you need help, you can see me as well, and I'll be happy to help you find a new relationship with Jesus. Father, we commit this all to you. Seal any decisions tonight. And all God's people said... Let's stand together as we conclude. We're going to sing that.